please be seated. Our gospel reading this morning is taken from Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 to 30. Matthew 11, verses 25 to 30. At that time, Jesus said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by, by, by the Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the gospel of Christ, and we give Praise to Christ our Saviour. I'd like to thank uh, Jimmy and the, the congregation for uh, this opportunity to share with you. Uh, it is a very difficult time of the year. Uh, we often hear people saying, I just don't feel like I can get to the end of the year. I am not okay. This is the time of the year when depression uh, is at its highest, anxiety is quite rife, uh, suicide rates are up, uh, and speaking about suicides, uh, suicide is the second highest uh, cause of death amongst our young people, 19 years and, and younger. So it is definitely a, a real thing that we are experiencing, and it's, it's not quite understood why this time of the year. Some say it is because of the change of seasons. Others say, well, you know, it is because we set out to do certain things at the beginning of the year. We have certain plans, and now uh, time rushes past. The year is almost over, and we haven't been able to achieve or accomplish the things that we set out to, to achieve, and it is burdensome. And even more so, there is this prospect of Christmas, where everybody is supposed to be happy. And to many people, it is a very daunting time of the year, trying to be happy when we are supposed to be happy. To put on that mask of a smiling face when you feel on the inside that you are not okay. So friends, today I'm going to share a bit about my own story. It is more a testimony than, uh, uh, than a sermon per se, but I would like to, to draw from the lessons that we, that we gain from the texts that we've shared. I'd like to go back to the prayer that Jonah prayed in the belly of the fish. I'd like you to close your eyes and I'd like you to listen to it once again. Try and put yourself in Jonah's position. Try and feel what he feels. I called out to the Lord in my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, 
and you heard my voice. You cast me into the deep, into the hearts of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and billows passed over me. And then I said, I am driven from your sight. How shall I look upon your holy temple? The waters closed in over me, the deep surrounded me, weeds were wrapped around my head. As my life was ebbing away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Can you hear the desperation in Jonah's prayer? He's not only expressing a feeling. This is a description of what is happening to him while he is sitting in the belly of the fish. If you immerse yourself long enough in that prayer, trying to put yourself in that position where Jonah found himself, you may very well feel your stomach go into a knot. The world is closing in. You feel claustrophobic. As you try to calm down and keep it all together, you feel that your heart rate increases. Your breaths become rapid and shallow. It feels like seaweed wraps itself around your head and around your chest, constricting with every single breath that you exhale. You want to get it off, but you can't. You grab hold of the seaweed and tuck at it and pull at it, trying to remove it. You try to wrench it off, but the more you struggle, the tighter it becomes. It's like a python. That is where Jonah found himself in the belly of the fish. And out of this deep sense of angst, when he's almost not able to utter any words, he's able to vomit out these words, God, help. If there is ever a good description in the Bible of what an anxiety attack feels like, then that is it. You may have experienced an anxiety attack yourself. Or you may have encountered somebody in your family or in friendship groups who is prone to experiencing panic attacks and depression. Now imagine Jonah. And imagine Jonah in that place where he's feeling this constricted wrestling, trying to get out of things in order to, to become alive. 
and we stand next to Jonah, try and tell him, Ach, Jonah, it's just mind over matter. Try and tell Jonah, Ach, man, just get over it. Try and tell Jonah, there are people in this world who have it a lot worse than you. So be thankful for who you are and what you have. Others may stand next to Jonah and say to him, just exercise a bit. Keep yourself busy. Go climb on your bike with Jimmy and go ride in the hills and you'll feel better. Or put up your feet and let me take over. I can imagine that if Jonah was sitting there in the belly of the fish and he had, he'd been on medication to help him with his anxiety and he was going for therapy, that there would even be those who would say to him, you know what, Jonah, you must just increase your faith. Believe in God a little bit more. You don't need those things. Stop taking the meds. Stop going to therapy, and all will be fine. Try telling Jonah that. And I am not a person of violence, but I can tell you now that Jonah would give that person, is one allowed to say a snot club in church? I didn't say it, but you know what I mean. That's where Jonah was. And those are definitely not the things that Jonah needed or wanted to hear while he was sitting in the belly of the fish. I had my belly of the fish experience in January of 2021. We decided to get a divorce. It was the point, a tipping point after a painful, painful journey of about seven years of trying, of therapy, counseling, prayer. And we had come to this point. We sat in the psychologist's rooms. And the gravity of the situation became real at that very moment. I'd been journeying with PTSD for the seven years leading up to that point. And in that moment, hearing and knowing that it was over, that there was no hope left. The prospect of thinking about telling our two young boys about what was going to happen in their lives was overwhelming. The fallout, the breakout of all of those things, friendships, family, 
It's big. And in the doctor's rooms, in the, counsel, in the psychologist's rooms, I collapsed. I, Bessel Bentley. I, the minister, who's supposed to be happy and smiling and strong. I, Bessel, the one who has a qualification in psychology and who counsels other people. Vessel collapsed. I was rushed to the ER. And as I was lying in the emergency room, I sobbed so much, I couldn't get a word out. The doctor didn't understand what I was saying. And eventually gave me some calming medication. But nothing worked. I sobbed a heart-wrenching cry. And eventually when I managed to speak, all that I could say to the doctor was, please make it stop. Please make it stop. And she asked, what do you mean? I said, please make my life stop. I cannot anymore. I wanted to die. I wanted my life to end at that point. And knowing that she couldn't do anything about the situation, I begged the doctor to leave the room and to leave some medication on the counter so that I could take matters into my own hands. I just couldn't anymore. I was not okay. From there, I was transferred to Swavel Stream Clinic, a mental health facility where I spent two weeks in therapy with meds and prayer. And not only then, but since then, I've slowly but surely been able to embark on this journey of crawling out of the fish's belly. I'm almost envious of Jonah that he was just spewed out on the beach. We read in the book that God ordered the fish to go and spit him out. And you can almost imagine this fish being beached on, on, the, on, on the coastline, opening his mouth and old Jonah just projecting out, rolling there on the beach. Lucky him. That was quick. The rest of us are not so lucky. It takes time. It takes effort. To me, 2021 felt like being in the midst of the belly of the fish. Was it a figment of my imagination? No. 
Was it a matter that I lacked in faith? No. Was it real? And was it life-threatening? You bet. Depression and anxiety, whether it is situation-based or whether it is genetic, is something that is real. The difference between Jonah's story and mine is that in the book of Jonah, the fish is both Jonah's judgment and his liberation. Jonah was disobedient, we read, and he was thrown overboard. It was Jonah's fault that he had landed in the fish's belly. If he had only listened, He was thrown overboard, and luckily he was swallowed by the fish, otherwise he would have drowned. And some may even say that Jonah had it coming to him. I can't say that this was true for me. I didn't ask for it to happen. I was not disobedient. I did not turn my back on God. God did not send this depression and anxiety to teach me a lesson or to judge me for my sins. I cannot imagine for a moment that God would do such a thing. If God were that kind of God sending this kind of panic and torment into a person's life merely to teach us a lesson, to teach us that God is God and that God is good and God can save us. And what a sadistic God God would be. Sending calamity, hardship, pain, just so that we can learn a lesson to turn to God. Really? No. I didn't and don't see God as the sender of my fish or my belly experience. But very much like Jonah, that point of reaching that heart-wrenching cry, brought me to a place where I could realize that that prayer that I prayed did not have to travel too far for God to hear. You see, in my experience, I didn't have to shout out so loud that God could hear me through the layers of fish fat and skin and muscle. And even though in that experience I felt utterly and desperately alone, when I cried out, I found that God was sitting right next to me, right inside the fish's belly. God did not say to me, if only you listened. God did not say to me, you had it coming. God did not say to me, did you learn your lesson?" what I did hear God say was, I've got you. 
I've got you. That was where I heard God speak and God say that God was at work. God was at work not in some supernatural, mysterious way. God was at work through the hospital. God was at work through the doctors. God was at work through the medication. God was at work through my family and friends. God was at work. God is at work. I find it such a pity that there is such an enormous stigma attached to mental health challenges. A tremendous stigma. People don't speak about it. People don't speak about their own pain. People don't even engage in other people's pain. Perhaps it is because people don't really understand what it means to experience these things. It is written off as a modern fad. You know, 50 years ago, we didn't have so much depression. 50 years ago, people were strong. They didn't have panic attacks or anxiety. Why now? Well, perhaps it is because we know a little bit more and we are more open to express ourselves now. Just because you can't see the wounds does not mean that they aren't there. Just because people aren't having dramatic collapses like mine does not mean that people don't find themselves in the belly of a fish, ensnared by the seaweed of worry and fear and angst and sleepless nights. The fact of the matter is there are Jonahs in our families. There are Jonahs in our workplaces. There are Jonahs in the street. And guess what? There are Jonahs here at church. And below the veneer of a smile, of convincing happiness, there may just be a person who is finding themselves praying that gut-wrenching prayer. God, help. They may not show it. They may even be afraid to reach out to help, to seek help. Why? Why don't people reach out? This is the most common reason. What will people say? What will people say if they knew that I'm not as strong, I'm not as happy, I'm not as content as what they think I am? What will people say? Jonah is spewed out of a fish and he's told to go and tell the people to repent. ever there were a person to ask the question, what will people say? I think it would be Jonah. He did not have his fancy suit and tie on. His clothes were torn. Bleached by the stomach acid of the fish. 
He had a half-chewed piece of seaweed still hanging around his neck. It smelled like anchovies. And here he comes to tell people to change their lives. What would people say? What will people say when I take the risk of exposing this side of mine? This side of me which people may find pitiful or repulsive. Will they think that I am weak? Will they think that I'm crazy? Will they think that I'm unfit for work? Will they think that I'm unworthy of a healthy relationship? What will they think? What will they say? And of course, there will be those who think all of these things, that you are crazy, you are weak, you are unfit, you are unworthy. There will be those who point to Jonah and say, what a weak fool. But let me tell you, there will also be those who listen to Jonah's words and take it to heart. There will be those who listen carefully to what is happening in Jonah's life the message that Jonah has to share, and they will turn to those mocking and scoffing and say to them, you better listen. You better listen. Don't take this person lightly. Breaking the stigma of mental health, I suppose, is a two-pronged process. The first is that when we find ourselves in that situation, to take the risk, and it is a big risk, to take the risk to reach out, to become vulnerable to a friend or to a minister or to a therapist. And you may think that your mental health challenges are not worthy even to mention. You may even think that people are going to say to you, Ahmed, that isn't really bad. But you know what? If it's bad enough for you, then it is worth sharing. You have to face the abyss every single day. Even if you think that others think that it isn't that bad. The first step to breaking the cycle, the stigma, is to take the risk to reach out. And the second is that when people reach out, that we take them seriously, that we listen, that we create space for people to express themselves, and don't ever think that we know better. Let us not ever think that we can give advice. Listen to the prophet when they speak. For you, a loved one, or a colleague, may not be too far off from landing in the fish's belly too. I met Jesus again in the belly of the fish. And the Jesus I met was accepting. 
gracious, compassionate. The wonderful thing about Jesus is that Jesus meets people where they find themselves. Jesus meets them there. Jesus accepts them as they are, fishy clothes and all. And not only does Jesus meet us, but Jesus also issues this open invitation. Come to me. Come to me if you are carrying a heavy load. This is the challenge to the church, for we are supposed to be the body of Christ. When Jesus issues this invitation, come to me, we better be prepared that people will take him up on that offer. And when they come, they who are weary, will they find rest? When they come with their heavy burdens, Will they find respite? When we draw alongside them, will they experience a light and easy yoke? My prayer for you, as the people of Midstream Methodist, is that this place will be a beacon. That those who find themselves in the belly of a fish will find a home here. And more so, when people cry out to God, that here they will know that they are loved. In Jesus' name. God, you are our hiding place. And when, our, when we find ourselves in the belly of a fish, O oh Lord, we do not have to cry too far for you to hear us. In a world that does not understand or in a world that looks down on struggle, O oh Lord, you are the one who speaks compassion and love. In you we find our peace. 
And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forevermore.